Will you pray with me this morning? Loving God, we rest in your grace and mercy during this time of uncertainty, and we trust that you are bringing forth something new. Touch our imaginations this morning so we might see a vision of your just and peaceful world. In your name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dave Johnson, and I'm preaching this morning in a number of different roles. I'm currently serving on Portland Mennonites leadership table, which I've been on since January 2020. But I'm also a student at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary in the Master Divinity Program, which I've been enrolled in much, much longer. In fact, my uh, before the pandemic, uh, I took a class called Christian Leadership in the 21st Century. And my funny, funny joke is that before I'm done, I'm going to have to take Christian leadership in the 22nd century. It says here to pause for laughter. Um, but before I'm a table member or a seminary student, I'm Crystalline's husband and I'm Beckett and Sadie Joe's dad. And being their dad radically informs my work on the table, the classes I take in seminary, and the things I'm going to share with you for the next few moments. I love being Beckett and Sadie's dad. It's changed everything for me. It's transformed my understanding of love and revealed my capacity to love and to be loved, to forgive and be forgiven. And that has changed how I understand God's love for me and for other people. To know that God sees us and not the worst things we've done and that a return is always welcome. I'm learning what it means to let someone I love to live their life and to make choices and to get hurt and to create things that are beautiful and bring joy to others. But it is a weird time to be a parent of young kids. Even before the pandemic, I felt increasingly uncertain of the right way to raise Beckett and Sadie, even as the expectations on parents, mostly on moms, but also on dads, has been slowly ratcheted up. You try to prepare your kids for everything by being involved in everything by trying to anticipate every possible outcome to ensure a happy future. I'll be honest, when we first quarantined in March, almost two years ago, there was a part of that that was a relief. It was like we had been in a rushing river of activities. All of them were good and all of them were with people we love, but we were paddling furiously to avoid the rocks and keep everyone in the canoe and quarantine gave our family guilt-free permission to stop, to rest at least for a little bit. And for a little bit, that's what it felt like we needed. But there's lurking, some, sometimes just below the surface, sometimes way out in the open, a level of anxiety in being a parent, or just really just a being a person that's only partially explained by the pandemic. Here's an example. During the first summer of COVID, I read an article co-published by the New York Times and the investigative website ProPublica about the impact of global climate change on human migration as people are forced to move from their homes and lands that are no longer habitable. Today, about 1% of the land on, on the planet is classified as a barely habitable, uh, a barely livable hot zone. I think the Sahara, the Sahara Desert. In the next 50 years, this percentage is projected to increase to 20%. That is currently home to a third of the Earth's population, billions of people. 
But we don't have to wait decades to see our anxieties manifested in the news. In the past two years, we've witnessed the next steps in this country's reckoning with our foundational sin of white supremacy and the inevitable backlash. We've watched the reintroduction of political violence as a reality as our society fractures with each new election cycle. And we've experienced the increasingly undeniable and unavoidable consequences of climate change. I remember where I was on my morning walk almost two years ago, the day after I read the article about climate migration, when the thought crashed through my mind that I hoped Beckett and Sadie wouldn't have kids so they could avoid the feelings of helplessness and fear I felt for them and their futures in that moment. It was a terrible, despairing thought. Being their dad, being parents with Crystalline is the best thing in my life. I don't know how I could not want the same experience for them. The family at the center of the story that Stephen read in Genesis 21 is super complicated and dysfunctional. I initially encountered the story through the character of Abraham, because he was a father sending his child into the unknown. And I was struggling with how out of control I felt about the world into which I would one day be sending the kids. The story actually begins a few pages earlier in the Bible, in chapter 12, when God tells Abram to leave the land of his ancestors for the land of Canaan, where God promises Abraham will become a great nation. Hagar enters the story on the next page in chapter 16. Abraham and Sarah are in their 80s and 70s, respectively. They have been living in Canaan for 10 years, and the promised baby still hasn't arrived. But here's Hagar, who was introduced in the text as Sarah's Egyptian slave girl, who Sarah gives to Abraham so she could have children for Sarah in an ancient form of surrogacy. But even after Hagar gets pregnant, she is never more, she's really never more than a sex slave for Abraham and Sarah. When Sarah complains to Abraham that Hagar is not showing her enough respect, Abraham chillingly responds, your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Hagar eventually flees from the abuse, and she has a wilderness encounter with the angel of the Lord, who still refers to her, according to the text, as Hagar, slave girl of Sarah, and who mystifyingly sends her back to her abusers, though with the promise that she will be the mother of multitudes through the baby she's carrying. It probably goes without saying, but I am more like Abraham in, than Hagar in the story. Hagar was enslaved in a foreign land. She was a woman who was valuable for her fertility, but without the autonomy to make decisions about her body. We probably don't even know her real name. Wilda Gaffney, in her excellent book, Womanist Midrash, writes that the word Hagar means the foreigner or alien or sojourner in the biblical Hebrew. And she notes that in Genesis, which is a book that is concerned about ancestors and genealogy and beginnings. We don't know anything about this woman's family of origin, this mother of multitudes, before she was enslaved in Abraham's household. We only know the country of her birth, which marks her as an outsider. No, in this story, I'm more like Abraham. I'm able to make choices that keep me and my family safe and comfortable in an unsafe and uncertain world. 
like many of us, I'm becoming better practice at recognizing my privileges, at least some of them. But this is, but it's a short step from acknowledging the relative safety and security that comes with my social position to actually putting my trust and hope in that privilege, to unconsciously trusting it to see me and my family through the chaos, or even to try to avoid it entirely. But as we're finding out the individual bubbles of security and self-sufficiency that so many of us work so hard to maintain will ultimately be insufficient. We're eventually gonna find ourselves at the edge of the wilderness. Not just the global pandemic we're all experiencing together, but our own individual wildernesses, the loss of a job, a life-changing diagnosis, an unexpected call in the middle of the night. And we have no idea what comes next or if we will make it to the other side. But this morning, let's try to be in the story with Hagar who has been abandoned in the wilderness with just some bread, a skin of water, and a child in her care. Hagar has been a slave in the tents of Abraham and Sarah, but she has also had an encounter with God. She has been promised a child and uncountable future generations. And during that first wilderness experience she had in chapter 16, she becomes the only person in the biblical narrative to give God a name, the name El Roy, which can be translated God of seeing or God who sees an aspect of God's nature that will save Hagar's life and the life of Ishmael the next time she's in the wilderness. One of the characteristics of this liminal season, season that we're in is that whatever is emerging is still just beyond our field of vision. And in many ways, outside of our ability to imagination or to imagine. We know the world that was, and we know the world that is, but it's hard to imagine the world that will be. My place and perspective in the world is very different from Hagar's, but I recognize her feeling of hopelessness and the resulting lack of vision to see what's in front of her because she's overwhelmed by the enormity, the seeming inevitability of the future that lies in front of her. But into this story, Old Testament scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann describes God as, quote, an agent of imagination who can re-perceive and re-describe reality in transformative ways. I need that so bad right now. I think we all do. The past two years have been overwhelming and the capacity for a transformative vision of our future and our present has often felt unavailable. The brokenness of this world and of our relationships seems to increase daily in ways that are tenacious and intractable. It's so much easier to obsess about what's wrong in the world than it is to imagine and pray and work in ways that join God's work for a just and peaceable future. Of course, there are times like when, like Hagar, all we can do is weep. But it is comforting to know that in her story, God does not abandon Hagar to her despair. So Hagar is alone in the wilderness. Hagar has been in this situation before when she fled Sarah, and the angel of the Lord found her pregnant and alone by a spring of water. But now for her, this is just all too much. She doesn't have the resources to provide for or protect her child, and she's become overwhelmed by the vastness, the undeniable reality of the wilderness that surrounds her and the uncertainty of the path in front of her. 
This is not unlike how I felt on my walk last summer. The temptation like Hagar is to give in to despair, or in my case, to give in to distraction by binge watching all creatures great and small in my DVDs of the 2016 World Series. But God does not abandon Hagar. God hears Ishmael's cries, and God calls Hagar by her name, and God provides water where Hagar had once seen nothing. But then it's up to Hagar to do the next right thing. She goes and fills her container with water, and she gives her boy a drink. God's provision in the story is not the well or the water. It's in giving Hagar a new way of seeing. God's, uh, Hagar's story teaches us a way to pray that asks for eyes to see what it might already be there, but that we have been unable or unwilling to see or imagine. Like Hagar, we've experienced differing degrees of wilderness, both individually and as a congregation over these past two years. At some point, the pandemic is probably going to recede as a daily concern from our lives. But these chaotic and violent forces of our political life and the disruptive and deadly consequences of human-caused climate change only appear to be getting stronger. But unlike Hagar, we're, we aren't alone. We're a church together, seeking the just peace of our city in Portland, Oregon. And this liminal season is an opportunity for us to reimagine and redescribe what church is, what it could be as we continue to walk through this wilderness and prepare for what's on the other side. It's an opportunity to reflect as a congregation on questions that have been bubbling up. For example, here's what I've been wondering lately in these, these last two years. What is the purpose of church? Why do we gather every week? Is church just another group I belong to that adds more activities to my calendar? Or is it something more? Do I want it to be something more? What's keeping it from being something more for me at PMC? Maybe some of these resonate with you. Probably, or hopefully, you have others. But this liminal season is an opportunity for us to think together imaginatively about church. It's an opportunity that won't last forever, though. Eventually, the new normal will become the status quo, and the patterns and practices and habits we establish will reach into the future in ways that will either be part of God's redemptive work of justice and peace, or they won't. I mentioned earlier that I'm in seminary at AMBS. And this semester, I'm doing an internship placement at PMC. Uh, as part of my internship, I'm going to help facilitate a process that is hopefully going to exercise our congregational imagination about church. So in the next few days, everyone on the church mailing list will receive an email but with a questionnaire that asks about what we have experienced during these past two years and how we might imagine church for a new normal, one that is characterized by reverence and density and equity. Those who are interested will be invited to participate in a series of small group conversations about what we hope for PMC as we think about the future in front of us. And as part of this, I'll report what emerges from the questionnaire in these conversations during a Sunday school hour forum in March and at the church retreat in May. This is, of course, more than a class assignment for me, and I hope that it will be meaningful in our collective life together. And so 
I hope that you will take some time over the next couple of weeks to sit with these questions about church, both what it is and what it could be, what we've discovered that is essential and what we've learned we can leave behind, what makes us worry and what makes us hope. But for this morning, for those of us who, like Hagar, look at the future, even at tomorrow, and see only a vast and threatening wilderness, my prayer is that we will remember when we have met God in the past, that we will be able to see what God has provided for in this moment, and that we will be able to trust, even when it doesn't feel like we can, that God will provide in the moment after that. And for all of us, I pray that we will experience God's presence and provision, that we will continue to be faithful to the decisions we have in front of us today, and that we will trust the future to God who is with us, even in the wilderness. Amen.